into a privileged family and yet sold into a life of slavery and ultimately prison. This is the story of the Hebrew slave whose incredible ability to interpret dreams propelled him to the second most powerful office in Egypt. What happens when he is faced with a monumental decision on how to use that power? Join us for the exciting conclusion of The Legend of Joseph Jacobson. After I told Pharaoh what his dream meant, he seemed pretty grateful. Next thing I know, I'm being given this pretty neat hat. You know, not to mention all the power and position that comes along with it. I also got this corner office, which is very nice. You know, that couch you're sitting on, that's genuine camel leather. Yeah. Yeah, how you can tell? Uh, There's a hump on the back. (laughs) Joseph was made vice president of Egypt and put in charge of preparing the country for the seven years of famine predicted in Pharaoh's dreams. When the famine started... Everybody from all over the world came to Egypt to get their supplies, even my family. I will never forget the looks on my brother's faces when they realized that I was the VP of Egypt. I gotta admit, it was a little gratifying. Joseph forgave his brothers, but their guilt from selling their own brother into slavery, claiming he was dead and hiding it from their father, had never gone away. The tensions between Joseph and his brothers continued for several years until their father, Jacob, passed away. Now that Jacob was gone, his brothers reasoned, nothing stood in the way of Joseph exacting his revenge. That week, the week of my father's death, we got permission from Pharaoh to bury my father in Canaan, uh, back in the family cemetery. The uh, procession stretched for miles military escort, heads of state, whole works. Everybody loved Dad. The official state Egyptian funeral took over a month. But in the end, it was the small, private family ceremony that captured the emotional weight of the moment for Joseph. Well, we were all standing there, and all these memories started flooding back. You know, Judah hiding my gerbil in the second grade, Asher smashing my Hot Wheels chariot set, and then flying about it. (laughs) The wedgies. The the wedgies. And being thrown down that well and having all of them look down at me. But I I told myself I couldn't let myself think about these things right now, but in my heart of hearts, I knew they deserved any punishment I could give them. And then this thought pops into my head. If I wanted to, I could bury them right here, right now, with mom, dad, and grandpa. I mean, they're eventually going to end up here anyway, so, you know, why not save myself a trip? (laughs) I mean, nobody could blame me. It was a tense moment for everyone. Joseph turned away from the ceremony and simply walked away. Yeah, I was ready to bury my brothers right then and there. Put an end to it. But then something occurred to me. You know, it took me by surprise. Put a completely different perspective on things. I found myself standing there thinking, Look at me. I'm the vice president of Egypt. Who 
And it never would have happened without my sorry, good-for-nothing brothers. So I thought to myself, maybe I should thank them instead of burying them. <laughs> or maybe I should thank them while I'm burying them, you know? <laughs> hmm. Faced with his biggest challenge yet, Joseph chose to forego a family massacre and opted instead for a backyard barbecue. Ruben, yes, hey, hello. Yes, uh, listen, Ruben, I just sent an army of men over to your house to burn it down and to kill all your cattle. <laughs> yeah, no, Ruben. <laughs> Ruben, I'm just kidding, man, I'm just kidding, yeah. No, no, of course I wouldn't do that. No, 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 relax, buddy. I, yeah, I do this to him all the time. Relax, yeah, everything's okay. For now. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding again, yeah. Yeah, you too, buddy. I love it. You know, just playing those jokes on my brothers. Let's call the rest of them. This has been the Legends Channel's look into the life and legend of Joseph Jacobson. Join us next week when we uncover the mystery behind our next famous legend. So we're finishing up our series today, um, and we've been asking this question for three weeks. What would someone in your situation do if they knew that God was with them? And two weeks ago, we talked about this uh, when it comes to extreme difficulty. Joseph faced difficulty that you and I will never face, and he did exactly what someone would do in his position if God was with him. And then last week, we looked at um, what would someone do if God was with them in times of blessing, um, when things are going your way, how would you act if God was with you? And this is a filter I've been using over these last few weeks like I never have before with every decision that I have to make, because if God is with you, what do you have to fear? If God is with you, why do you overreact? If God is omnipotent, that means he has all power, there's none like God, then why do we whine and complain and try to change our circumstances? If God is with us, why do we try to impress influential, powerful, popular people like we talked about last week? Because if God is with us, then he changes our perspective on everything. He changes the way you interpret life, good or bad with me? God changes your perspective, the way you interpret life, good or bad, if you are aware that he is walking with you through the difficulties of life. If you have your Bibles today, or if you have your smartphones and you have you version on there, you can look this up. Uh, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 55. We're going to start at the end of that chapter, go a couple of verses and then jump into the, the rest of the story. Now, what the Bible has revealed to us so far is that, um, no matter how bad your life is, Joseph's was worse. No matter how good your life is or will be, Joseph's was better. And so Joseph did during the good times what someone would do. He did during the bad times what someone would do if he knew that God was with him. 
Now you got to remember, he did this without the Bible. The Bible was not written down yet. All they had at this time was a series of stories where God interacted with first Abraham, that's his great granddad, and then um, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob is his father. So he has these stories. He's heard them over and over again, but they're not written down. There's no church. And somehow in the midst of all this, only hearing the stories of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is able to live like anyone would live if they are certain that God is with them. And you have to remember when he's 17, Hannah's age, when he's 17, he's sold into slavery in Egypt. He goes into a foreign country, foreign language, foreign gods, foreign culture. He doesn't have mom and dad. And it really appears that he doesn't have God either, except that we come across this phrase in the scripture over and over. And it says, God was with him. And when you read that, you go, oh, really? Let's just look at the evidence to see if God was with him. His 10 brothers sell him into slavery. They let dad think that he is killed by a wild animal. Dad just goes into this time of intense mourning because he thinks his favorite son is dead. Potiphar, the, the captain of, of Pharaoh's guard, he buys Joseph in slavery. And, and we read that for the first time, God was with him. You think, oh, things are going to turn up for him. No, because the Bible says God was with him and, and God blesses Potiphar and all of his house because of Joe, but he doesn't bless Joe. At least though, he makes him the HSIC, the head slave in charge. The key word there is slave though. He's number one. He's the number one slave. Woo. You think, well, maybe things are going to turn, are going to go better for him, right? Wrong. Because Potiphar's wife, the Bible says, Potiphar's wife saw that he was handsome and, and well-built and she decided to try to seduce him day after day after day. We don't even know how long this went on. And he kept refusing her. And then he says to her, I cannot do this thing against God. I cannot sin against God. And if you're, if you're watching a movie, you're thinking at this point, God has to defend him. He just stood up. He mentioned the one and only true God. God's going to defend him, right? Wrong. He is wrongly accused and he is convicted of a rape he didn't commit. And so he's thrown in prison. And when he's thrown in Pharaoh's dungeon, we read these words, but God was with him. And you're like, well, maybe things are going to turn up. Well, he becomes friends with the warden in the dungeon and he makes him the HPIC. He's the head prisoner in charge. He's number one, but the key word is prisoner. And you're thinking, what is going on here? And what does Joseph do? He does what anybody would do whose brothers sold him into slavery, who was wrongly convicted of a rape he didn't commit, and who's thrown into a dungeon, makes friends with the warden would do if we were convinced that God was with him. A couple of years later, after he interprets the dreams of, of Pharaoh's cupbearer and his baker, um, he... Pharaoh has two dreams and they're basically the same dream. They're going to have seven years of great abundance, incredible abundance, so much that they quit counting because it's so great an abundance, but then seven years of famine. And so Joseph is able to interpret those two dreams and he's able to give uh, Pharaoh some, some timely advice. So he goes from HPIC, head prisoner in charge, to prime minister, the second in charge of the greatest nation on earth at that time, the nation of Egypt. So what does he do? He does what anyone who is sold into slavery by his brothers and who is thrown into prison for a rape he did not commit and then is elevated to second in charge of the greatest nation on the planet would do if they were convinced that God was with them. Now, Pharaoh put him in charge of, of the seven years of abundance and, and Joseph sets up these storage cities all over the nation of Egypt. And the Bible says there was so much, they quit keeping records because the abundance was so great. It was one of the most incredible organizational, um, projects in the history of the world. And Joseph was in charge of that. Then we come to the second part of Pharaoh's dream. They've had the great seven years of abundance. We're going to come to the seven years of famine. Pick this up in Genesis 41 verse 55. 
When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. This is amazing because the Egyptians considered themselves better than the Hebrews. The Hebrews were shepherds. They were nomadic. They looked down upon them. And Pharaoh looks at this little shepherd boy that's now grown up and he says, whatever he says, do. I don't care. You have to go through him. Second in charge. Phase one was collecting the food. Now phase two is selling the food for seven years. Verse uh, 57, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Now, verse one of, of chapter 42, when Jacob, all right, this is his dad who was also named Israel. It's where the nation got their name, Israel. So Jacob, Joseph's dad, when he learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said this to his sons. Why do you just keep looking at each other? Chuck Washburn would say something like this. That's my dad. I have two brothers. Why are you just, do something. Doug Washburn has said this on several occasions. I'm sure Caleb Washburn will say this. I'm sure my dad's dad said it. I didn't know my dad's dad. But this is a great question. If there's work to do, get off of your backside and do it. That's what Jacob is saying to him. He continues, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers, the same 10 who sold him into slavery, Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Now, by this time, Joseph is 39 years old. How old was he when they sold him into slavery? 17. Some of you were here Wednesday night. Say it again. How old was he when they sold him into slavery? He's now 39, 22 years. All right. So he, Pharaoh found him at 30, put him into service. He served during the seven years of abundance. Now we're two years into the famine. He's 22 years that he has not seen his family. He's been away from his family in a foreign land longer than he was with his family at home. 22 years. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground took us two weeks, but we got the sound effect right. <laughs> now, do you, do you see the significance of this? Joseph's brothers are bowing down to him. Remember the dream he had 20 something years before? He said, all of you will bow down before me. And his brothers hated him. First of all, they hated him because he was their father's favorite. And then they hated him all the more because he told them this dream where they would bow down to him. Now look what happens. Verse six. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke to them harshly. If you read the whole story, we're covering chapter after chapter, so you need to read this. But if you read the whole story, you'll see that Joseph spoke to them in Egyptian through an interpreter who would interpret to the Hebrew. So they assumed he was an Egyptian, assumed he could not understand them. He recognizes them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now, all of a sudden, Joseph has all the power in the world. And here's the first question for you from this story. What do you do when you have all the power to hurt someone else? Now, the ones who betrayed him are before him. All he has to do is say no and they will starve to death. We're not making this up. They would starve to death. Or all he has to do is say, kill them. And all of the Egyptians are going, yeah, darn right, we're going to kill them. You have every right to kill them. They would not even bat an eye. He could kill them. Now, the way life works is that the people who have hurt you the most are eventually going to need something from you. And they're going to come to you. They will need you. It is not karma. 
Say it with attitude. It is not karma. No, no, no. That's not enough attitude. It is not karma. Somebody did it right. Thank you. I don't know who did it, but somebody did it right. It is not karma. It just gets all over me when people say karma. There's not some mysterious force in the universe trying to make things even. This is biblical. And let me read to you where it came from. Galatians chapter six. Oh, I got out of my deal. It says, God will not be mocked. A man reaps whatever he sows. And it went off, so I'm going to have to just do it from memory. A man reaps whatever he sows. It says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap all kinds of bad things from the flesh. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap things from the Holy Spirit of God. This is biblical. It's not karma. I will get fired up if you say it's karma. Eventually, the people who need, who hurt you the most are going to need something from you. They're going to be in front of you, and you're going to have a huge decision to make. Mom or dad maybe hurt you repeatedly. Mom and dad get older. They need you. And you think, did you forget what you did to me? How dare you ask for my help after what you did all of those years? The nerve. You have, a, you have all the power and you have a choice to make. What are you going to do with that power? Could be your ex. The divorce was a war. Custody was and is a nightmare. And then one day the ex is going to need something from you and you have all the power. What are you going to do with it? Could be that you had some sibling rivalry. Nothing like, uh, nothing like Joseph and his brothers, but you had some sibling rivalry. You married well. They didn't. You're doing well. They aren't. And they have some issues with you. But one day they're going to come to you and they're going to need something from you. What are you going to do with that power? Or it could be that, that you overcame all kinds of pain and suffering in your life and now you're a success, but you remember way back in the deep recesses of your mind, somebody did something to me and someone should pay for what happened to me. See, hurt people hurt other people. Humiliated people tend to humiliate other people. Miserable people want other people to be miserable with them. Abused people tend to abuse other people. You have this justice meter inside of you that was created by God because we were created in his image. God's a God of justice and a God of love. Two sides of the same coin. You have this justice meter inside of you given to you by God where you say someone should pay for what happened to me. So some of you make your spouse pay for the sins of your father or your ex. Men, some of you, your mom smothered you. And the moment your wife gives you just a little bit of pain, you overreact and you make her pay for the sins of your mom. If you're mistreated, you mistreat someone else, even if it's a complete stranger, because somebody needs to pay for what happened to me. One day you will have the power and and I'm, I'm praying that you'll come back to this and you'll look at what Joseph did, what God shows you in the scripture, how you should react. When you have the power, what would you do if you were very aware that God was with you when you had that power? Joe has all the power and here are his brothers before him. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He's using this interpreter and he begins to test them. First thing he says is, where are you guys from? They said, we're from the land of Canaan. He goes, no, you're, you're spies. You're coming to spy out our land. They go, no, we are honest men. I'm sure he almost laughed out loud. LOL. He would have texted that if he could have. Hello, honest men, you sold me. No, he says, you're spies. No, we're not. You're spies. He says, I'm throwing you in jail. So he throws all 10 brothers in jail for three days. And he says, 
he says, I'm going to send one of you home to get your other, because they said, he said, is this all of you? And they said, no, there's 12 of us, but one of us is no more. And the youngest is home with his dad and, and dad's still living. But he said, you're lying, you're spies. And he said, all right, I'm going to send one of you home to get your little brother. You're going to bring him back before me. And the only way I'm going to believe you're not spies is if you bring your little brother back. Puts him in jail for three days. Don't you know that conversation was awesome for three days. And, and he says, whatever you do, don't return without your brother. And so right before he throws them in jail, they say this in Genesis 42, 21, they said to one another in front of Joseph, because they didn't know he could understand Hebrew. They said in Hebrew, surely we are being punished because of our brother, brother. We saw how, what's that word? We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this, what? Distress. You reap what you sow. They dis, they sowed distress. They're getting distressed back. It's not karma. It's biblical. This distress has come upon us. Reuben, Reuben, the one that, that said, that tried to rescue him at the beginning. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you would not listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They thought he was dead. They thought they were about to die. When Joseph heard that, I, I think this was really a huge turning point in the whole story. When Joseph heard that, he ran out and wept. He could not control himself any longer. They didn't know. He cleans himself up. He comes back. Because see, remembering the past is very painful. And this won't be the last time that, that Joseph remembers the past. So he sells them the grain and unbeknownst to them, he puts the money back in their sacks. They're leaving, they're, they're going, it's about 200 uh, something miles. It's going to take them a, over a week at least to get back home. They stop for the night and, and one of the brothers opens up his sack and the money is back in the sack and he goes, oh no. Not only does he think we're spies, they're going to think we're robbers, that we stole this grain. They get home and everybody opens their sack and in everybody's sack is the money that they had, that they went to pay for is back in there. And they tell their dad and dad's like, oh no. And then dad starts counting. One, two, three, four. Weren't there 10 of you? Oh dad, a funny thing happened in Egypt. See, um, he thought we were spies. We said, no, we're honest men. And we had this thing. He threw us in jail for three days. And, and then he said, are this all of you? And we said, well, there's one back at home. One's no more. And our father's alive. And, and he said, the only way I will believe you are not spies is if you go get your little brother and you bring him back. So dad, we can get Simeon back. Simeon's in jail. We can get him back, dad. If we just send Joe, uh, if we just send Ben and, and dad says, not a chance. You're not taking my favorite son because Joseph used to be my favorite son. He assumes he's dead. And so now Benjamin is his favorite son because you see, Jacob had four wives. He actually had two wives and and two concubines. A concubine was somebody he could have sex with and her children could be heirs of his family, but she didn't have the legal response or the legal rights as a wife. So he had Rachel whom he loved. He had Leah who he did not love. And then each of their servants, because they were having this, you talk about sibling rivalry. They were trying to compete to see who could give him the most sons. So he would love them the most. Rachel doesn't have any kids until the end. He's got 12 sons. The last two, the first one born of Rachel, was Joseph, and that was his favorite. And then after that, Benjamin was born. Well, Joseph, he assumes, is dead. Benjamin's his new favorite, and he says, you're not taking my new favorite. Now, this isn't in the scripture, but don't you think the guys are going, what about Simeon? He's in prison. And Jacob goes, stuff happens. Sucks to be him. But you're not taking my favorite. So they drop the matter. They just start living until they run out of grain. We're not told how long it was. Don't you know Simeon's going, my brothers, 
I'm going to kill them if I ever get out of here. So they're not coming back. Then they run out of grain again. Dad, Jacob, why are you just sitting there? Go buy us some more grain. Because they are literally, you know how sometimes people go, I'm starving. No, they were starving. They were about to die. And he says, go back, go back to that dude in, in Egypt and buy some grain. And, and the brothers go, we're not going without Ben. He goes, you're not taking Ben. We're not going. Yes, you're going. They have this little argument. Um, Reuben steps up and he goes, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, there's several dumb things in scripture, but this is one of the dumbest things. Reuben says, if we don't bring him back, you can kill my two sons. Idiot. Jacob goes, that's not enough. Then Judah, Judah, the one who it was his idea to sell him into slavery, to make 20 pieces of silver. Each of the 10 brothers got two pieces of silver. Judah steps up and he goes, dad, I swear by my own life, if I don't bring your favorite back, you can blame me. I will bring the boy back home. So they're dying. They don't have food. Jacob goes, fine. (laughs) You know, they're just doing, fine, take my son. You're going to die anyway. When they go back to Egypt, Joseph sees them. They don't see Joseph. Joseph sees his youngest brother and he knows they're telling the truth. And he goes off and he weeps because there again, memories overwhelm him. You're walking down the aisle at Walmart and you run into them or you get a text or a phone call or something pops up on Facebook and you're overwhelmed by your past because the past is not easy. And, and see, here's, here's the bad thing. Some people think maybe God wants them hurt and he wants me to hurt them. God's calling me to be the hammer. You think God's calling you to be the hammer? They, Joseph sends his, his servant, his steward, his household steward. And he says, go get my brothers, take them to my house. As soon as they see the, the steward, they go, hey man, we don't know what happened, but, but first time we came, we tried to buy grain. And when we got our grain, we opened the sacks, the money's in there. So we brought twice the amount of money this time, the money for last time that we got back and the money to buy grain this time. And the steward, the household steward says to them, this, this is amazing to me. He goes, I had your money, your God. He's talking about the uppercase, the real only God is having mercy on you. That should have been the first sign that something was going on here, that they should have realized our God. You know, you know our God? He, wow, because I got my money back. That's the first thing I did. Thank you, Jesus. Let's get out of here before they change their mind. So he has them brought into his house for a meal. And they're, while they're walking, they're going, he's having us for a meal so he can put us in slavery and take our donkeys. I'm not making this stuff up. He's going to take our donkeys and it's because we kept the money. We didn't mean to keep the money. And they're having this whole conversation this whole time. So they go in and, and the steward seats them in order from the oldest to the youngest. And the Bible says they looked at each other in astonishment because they're thinking, how did he know who was oldest? There's 11 at this point. Every one of them in order. And so Joseph leaves them and goes to his table because a Hebrew could not eat with a, with with an Egyptian and they thought he was an Egyptian. He has them served from his table, serves all of them. And then he gives Benjamin the favorite five times the amount of food as everybody else. He's testing them to see what they're going to do. And so Joseph comes back in and 
He says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to send you home. You guys are truthful. I'm going to send you home. I'm going to give you grain. He gives them grain. He puts the money, all of the money, two times the money in each of their sacks. And then he also tells his steward to put the silver goblet from Joseph's table into Benjamin's sack. They start out and the Bible says they don't get very far outside the city. They can still see the city. They're just a little ways out. And Joseph sends a posse to get them and they say, you're under arrest. And they say, for what? And they said, for theft. Somebody stole the prime minister's silver goblet. And the, and the guys say, we are honest men. We did not steal it. We tried to pay both times. And they said, still, I have to search your sacks. They get them off and they search from the oldest to the youngest. Again, they should have gone, how does he know? And they get to Benjamin's sack and lo and behold, what do they find in Benjamin's sack? The silver goblet. And they said, our lives are over. They ripped their clothes as a, as a sign of mourning. They get on their donkeys. They thought were going to be taken. And you know, that was the longest trip back to Egypt because they said, we are now slaves. We are all slaves because of this horrible thing that has happened to us. And so they, uh, they come before Joseph and they fall down on their face and they say, we are all your slaves. And Joseph goes, no, no, no. I just want the guy who's guilty. I'll just keep the youngest. I'll keep Benjamin. Judah, same Judah who sold him, steps up and he gives this long speech. It's this great speech. And then he says, I cannot see my father's heart broken again. Take me Instead of the youngest, whatever you do, oh, prime minister, you will kill. He says, you will kill my father. If you keep this youngest son, keep me in his place. And Joseph cannot handle it anymore. He breaks down and weeps. He sends everybody out of the room. The Bible says that he was wailing so much that all of the Egyptian servants heard him. And it was such a commotion. They told Pharaoh, sums up with your prime minister. He's crying. He's wailing. Even Pharaoh heard about this. And then he's alone with his brothers. And look what happens in 45 verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? And I love this verse. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Oh my goodness. God, you better intervene because we are in deep weeds. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. No, 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 I'm good. You, you, I look at you from here. No, no, come here, come here. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Look what, look at the choice of words. And now do not be distressed, even though you, you sowed distress and you should be, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save the lives, save lives that God sent me ahead of you. The last time they saw him is looking up at them from a pit or he's being chained to this caravan going to Egypt or he's in some kind of, you know, jail that's on, that's a, that's a wagon, that's a jail. He's looking at, and now he has what they need. Joseph has all the power and anyone looking in from the outside would go, Joseph, God didn't send you here. These sorry brothers of you sent you here. All those years they've confused you because God would never do something like that. God doesn't allow good things to happen to, to, to bad things to happen to good people. And God doesn't turn bad things into good. He doesn't do that, does he? That's all he does in scripture is he turns bad things into good. 
You see, Joseph understood something that you and I need to own. And if you don't get anything out of this, you need to own this today. Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. Never mistake God's silence for his absence, especially because we have the cross. The enemy doesn't want you to get this because there is power. There is power in seeing God with you through difficult times, walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And many times in the valley of the shadow of death, God is very silent, but he is not absent. That's what the word teaches us over and over. Chapter 45, verse nine. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen. Goshen is the best. Even though there's a famine, it is the best place. It's the fertile part around the Nile. You're going to live in the land of Goshen. Joseph tells Pharaoh, my father is alive and all my brothers. And Pharaoh says, bring them on down. They can have the best land, which is incredible because they're shepherds. And then he goes, hey, if you know any of them that could take care of my sheep, they could be Pharaoh's shepherds. Unbelievable. He says, come down, don't delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen and be near me. You and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you because that's what people in power do when they are certain that God is with them. He, they provide for other people. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will be destitute. Tell dad I'm alive and God has put me in charge. So they go back. They go back and they tell their dad. And their dad's like, you're lying. Joseph isn't alive and he's not second in command. And they said, look outside. And they looks outside and there's wagons and there's animals, all this stuff that Pharaoh had sent them so that they could move down. And he goes, it must be true. They have this incredible reunion. They get to live down the street from each other. And Jacob even gets to bless Manasseh and Ephraim. Remember the two children that we talked about at the end of last week's sermon? Jacob gets to bless them before he dies and lives several years with his son. Incredible. But then Jacob dies and the brothers are like, what if he hasn't really forgotten? What if the only reason he's been nice to us because dad's alive? Chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they make something up. They make this up. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. Don't you think dad would have said it to Joseph? This is what you're to say to Joseph. I, dad, ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, what does Joseph do? He weeps because that's what he's been doing this whole time is all the past has been dragged back up. His brothers then came to him, threw themselves down threw themselves down before him and said, we are your slaves. Once again, the dream from 20 plus years ago, they are bowing before him willingly. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? This is what you say when you have the power. Am I in the place of God? And in case you're not sure, no. You are not God. You're not the Holy Spirit. You're not Jesus Christ. You don't have the right. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And who won? God did. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, 
this, we're going to make application. We're going to finish with application here. You need to understand this. You will not, you will not experience good coming from bad. You will not experience all that God has for you until you do two things. First, until you acknowledge that God was with you in the bad. I was studying this this week and I thought of Job. Job never knew why he lost everything. But he said, naked I came into this world, naked I will leave this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His wife said, curse God and die. I will not. His friend said, man, you're sinning. He said, I have not. I would ask God some questions. So God comes down and talks to Job. Never answers his questions. Why, 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 why? What God says is, where were you when I hung the universe? Where were you when I created, when I spoke? And all of a sudden Job goes, uh, I spoke, and I, but I'm not going to do it again. I said something twice. I'm shutting up now, God. God never told him why. And he realized, I've got to acknowledge you were with me in the bad. I thought about King David. Before he was king, when he's running from Saul, Saul was trying to kill King David. Two different times, David is in a, in a cave and Saul comes in. He has the opportunity to kill him. His men around him said, God wants you to be the hammer. Take him out. David said, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. David had a heart after God. You want to have a heart after God. You don't get to be in God's place. You acknowledge God was with me. It's the reason we sang that song for three weeks in a row. If we, if we have new songs, we'll sing them three weeks in a row. Like, oh, praise the name. So you get to know them. We don't usually sing a song, you know, like God with us three weeks in a row, unless we want to cement in your mind. God is with you and you need to acknowledge that he's with you in the bad. You'll never experience all the good he has from your bad until you say God was with me. And number two, till you refuse to play God when times are good because you're going to have power someday and you're going to be tempted to play God and make them pay. You'll not experience what God has for you if you try to play God. This is what Joseph's life teaches us. He doesn't give them what they deserve. In fact, he gives them what they do not deserve. And he didn't have the cross. If you're an experience of God, one of the things, I don't know if you've gotten there yet, but one of the things he says is, you look at every experience in your life against the backdrop of the cross. My parents and my sister died. I look at that at the the backdrop of the cross. One year and one day before my parents and my sister died in a car wreck, my nephew dies in a tragic gun accident. I look at that in, in against the backdrop of the cross. I preached both of those funerals. We actually did mom, dad, and sis all together. So I preached all that. And in the midst of it, I am seeing the cross behind that. And it changes how I interpret things when I see the cross. Joseph didn't have that. You and I have that. Quit living like an atheist and live like the cross really happened. Like the resurrection really happened. Like we really serve a risen savior. When folks from your past show up, you've got two options. You can look back at the past and get ticked and get hurt and and inflame all of that stuff again. You can look back or you can look up. And when you look up, you'll see God of heaven giving you what you do not deserve. And then you have the power not to give them what they deserve and to forgive. See, we sinned, we lied, we shook our fists at God. Some of us, some of us mocked the living God and somebody said, God, are you going to get even? And God said, no, I'm going to send my son to pay for their sin. They don't deserve it. Nope. 
That's how much love I have. He's a God of justice. Sin must be paid for. Either you pay for your own or he'll send a third party. You accept what Jesus Christ did. But sin will be paid for. There is justice in God. We're going to talk about that in the weeks ahead in this new series. But there's incredible love that says, I'll send one of my own in your place. And you can come to heaven if you accept him. Now, the most courageous thing you're ever going to do is forgive somebody who's hurt you really badly. It takes courage and strength to forgive. And and here's a statement that if it makes you mad, that's just too bad. Take it up with God. Weak people don't forgive. It takes courage and strength that you may not have. But that's when you look up and you see God giving you what you do not deserve. And you have a power that's not from this world. Not only am I going to forgive you for what you did, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Why would someone ever do that? Because that's what hurt people do when they're convinced that God is with them. That's what forgiven people do when they're absolutely certain that God is with them. And I have a suspicion. The reason some of you cannot forgive is because you've never experienced the forgiveness of God yourself. It's a supernatural power that comes not from this world. See, when the people who hurt you show up, you will either play God or you will see God. And when you see God, you'll say, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. So I'm not going to do what you did. I'm going to do what God did. I understand. I know in this room, there's a ton of hurt because I've heard the stories, heard it in small groups. I've heard it in one-on-one counseling. I've heard the stories. My question to you is, what would you do with that hurt? If you were absolutely convinced that God was with you, let's pray together. Lord, I don't want to be a part of a church that pretends the word of God isn't important. I don't see any suggestions in your scripture. I see commands. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespassed against us. <laughs> I don't think we really mean that. Teach us, God, that there's a power not of this world. And when we tap into that power, people are changed forever. God, make us into a church that forgives, that doesn't do what what evil hurt people do. We do just the opposite and we do what God did. We give people what they don't deserve. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.